And once again, we've gathered together here for the 37th episode of The Dipshit Files. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And we're talking, since it's holiday season, uh, mm. about murder. We're going to yeah. do a Christmas murder. Yeah, Christmas murder. Christmas massacre. Yeah, actually. Fucking the Lawson family. Yeah, this is this is an intense but very interesting story. Oh, well, Well, let's celebrate Christmas with the most horrendous things that ever happened during one. Awesome. Sounds Yay. great. All right, let's open up this Dipshit File. <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah. This is our December. I, I love this time of year. Me too. I love December. I don't know why. Even though we're stuck in our homes basically in the Northwest right now because mm-hmm. it's very snowy. Mm-hmm. But I love it. And now we're going to celebrate with, you know, I don't know anything about this topic. Yeah. Well, I think you're probably going to be able to do, do the face that you make where you go, eee. Okay. I, th- I think there'll be a little bit of that and mm. there'll be a little bit of, oh no, and probably some yikes. Okay. Well, we, before we get into it, what? What made you want to do this one? What brought this one to your attention? There, There's a handful of Christmas crimes mm-hmm. that I, I found fascinating. Um, part of my dark brain, mm-hmm. um, just the way my brain works, I'm interested in why people do the things they do. And I've always found familicide mm. fascinating and horrifying. And this is one of those cases where, um, you know, you, the family annihilator goes in and just wipes out the family. Yikes. Yeah. See, there it is. Okay. That's your well, first yikes. Okay. There might be a fuck me running too. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I love these because I never know what's coming. But all right. Mrs. Scriptkeeper, Educatus. All right. Now it's time for the Lawson Family Christmas Massacre. <laughs> Crazy farmer kills wife and six children. Hmm. That was the headline on the front page of the New York Times. The story was about the Lawson family murders, or as it's sometimes called, the Lawson family massacre. Mm. This was one of the worst Christmas Day crimes ever recorded in the United States, and even today, it's still one of the saddest and most violent crimes, with one of the highest death counts in North Carolina's history. Mm. So can you imagine going to visit relatives on Christmas Day, expecting warm hugs and hot chocolate at the door, only to discover their bodies instead? Actually, I have kind of a weird family. So, <laughs> some, of the, some of the uncles, I would have been like, oh, yeah, he killed his family. Yeah, it was coming. I hate going to your family's house for the holidays. I know. Let's hope Uncle Bob has some pants on. If your Uncle Dennis asked me to sit on his lap, I'm going to punch him in his dick. Dude, my family will not be mad at you. Right. I don't understand why nobody's answering. Well, they know we're coming. Just go in. That, that feels weird. Right. Uh, Aunt, Uncle Owen, Aunt Beru. Is that from fucking Star Wars? Yeah. Uncle Bob. Oh, shit. Holy fuck, your Uncle oh. Bob murdered his whole family. You know, that's not actually that surprising. Kind of on brand for Uncle Bob. You know, fair enough. He gives off that vibe. Gave off. That's his body right there. Oh, that's right. Always making Christmas about you, Uncle Bob. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the Flannery and or the other side of my family. Now, yeah, both. N- now imagine that you've walked up to this door and your children are with you and they're seeing all of this too. Mm. That's the part that made my brain go click. The chitrons. Yikes. That's yeah, going to take a lot of ice cream to fix that. Earlier that Christmas day in 1929, Charles David Lawson, a tobacco farmer in Germantown, North Carolina, murdered his wife and six of their seven children just hours before killing himself. Mm. There's quite a bit of speculation and rumor as to what had spurred this family man to annihilate nearly his entire family. Brain but tumor. Brain we'll, tumor. We'll get into that in a bit. That's my prediction. Familicide is one of the most appalling forms of domestic violence as well as a surprisingly common type of homicide. Families are a pain in the ass. These horrific murders always leave us searching for an explanation. After the FBI's profiling efforts began and psychologists started studying mass murderers, we learned a lot about who these killers are and what motivates them. Family annihilators are usually Caucasian men. Way to be dramatic, Whitey. They often have a history of abuse, whether physical, emotional, sexual, or a combination of the three. Their crimes are premeditated. They think about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And they tend to eat the evidence. Their killing sprees occur on a finely tuned and planned timeline 
with a motive that is often not apparent. And in the case of Charlie Lawson, we're still speculating almost a century later. Charlie got the demons in his blood. According to a 2015 study in the Journal of Forensic Sciences... Oh, here come the nerds. Familicide occurs about 23 times per year on average in the United States. But the average parent thinks about it 33 times an hour. Sorry. The Lawson family massacre remains North Carolina's highest death count murder almost a century later. Really? Shit. But without further babbling, let's open this story. Open it up. Charlie, who was the father of the family, was born on May 10th. 1886 to Augustus and Nancy and he grew up living funny enough in Lawsonville North Carolina in Stokes County where he ended up meeting the love of his life Fanny Manring (laughs) the two hit it off and by 1911 they decided to get married and start their family hold on Fanny Man Ring. (laughs) That is all. The two hit it off, and by 1911, they decided to get married and start their family. That is a name that you have to hyphenate, though. You need to keep the Man Ring. (laughs) All right, sorry. They would have eight. Oh, Fanny. They would have eight children, but unfortunately, their third son passed away at the age of six due to complications of pneumonia. But at the time of the murders, they had four-month-old Mary Lou, who was the youngest, two-year-old Raymond, four-year-old James, seven-year-old Maybell, 12-year-old Carrie, 16-year-old Arthur, and 17-year-old Marie. So they had a lot of kids. They were doing the sexuals to do the reproductionals. Now, they did have a few children while still living in Lawsonville. They spent a lot of time with Fanny's family, who absolutely loved Charlie. He took good care of their daughter and had big plans for their life, which included moving to Germantown, North Carolina in 1918 to grow tobacco. What do you mean we're moving to Germantown? I've decided, Fanny, we're going to move and we're going to make a better life for ourselves. No, no, Charlie. Oh, it sounds like a scenario where you might go crazy and murder all but one of our children. Oh, no, no, no. I promise not to do no, that. No, no, Charlie. Uh, what are the odds of that? Two of his brothers, Elijah and Marion, decided to move there. And he just kind of took his family along and followed suit. When they first settled down, they were what were called sharecroppers, which essentially means that you move in and you use someone else's land to grow your crops and usually live in a very small house. And the rent that is charged is simply a portion of your crops. So after you grow and harvest everything, the owner gets a portion and that kind of cancels out your rent debt. It's good to be lord of the land. They had hopes of eventually moving into their own home. And by 1927, that's exactly what happened. Charlie had saved up enough money that they were able to buy a farmhouse and land on Brook Cove Road in Germantown. Oh, on the corner there? It was perfect for them. They had plenty of land for their children. There was a tobacco barn. There was this old farmhouse. And the farmhouse itself wasn't exactly ideal. Being a former meth lab and all. It was definitely run down. So both Charlie and Fanny and then also their eldest children, Arthur and Marie, spent a lot of the evenings over the next two years cooking meth, slowly renovating the home to make it more comfortable and livable. But even then, they still ultimately had the goal of building their own house from the bottom up. Fuck yeah, bro. While living in Germantown, the family was very highly respected. Yeah, but by humans, so blue. Charlie was an incredible worker. He did everything he possibly could to get the most yield out of all of his different crops. Yeah, I heard he tried some pretty extreme methods. I'm not fucking around, you tobacco bastards. If you don't grow big as fuck, I'll shoot these seedlings. So there were kind of some red flags from the beginning. Many people remember seeing him out in the early hours of the morning working on his tobacco to make sure of this. I'm not fucking around. The whole family also chipped in. So it was a big kind of teamwork type of situation. All the neighbors said they were the best neighbors you could ever think of. If you needed help with anything, they would drop everything and come to your aid. If someone was sick, they were the first ones there to help. So everyone really thought highly of the whole Lawson family. Country living. A couple of weeks before Christmas in 1929, Charlie decided to splurge on his family. Got them all plastic surgery. He decided to head into Winston-Salem. And smoke. And encouraged all of his children and his wife. To smoke Winston brand cigarettes, Salem's number one tobacco. Sorry, I don't know why either. To pick out brand new outfits. And at the end of the day, he had a family portrait made. Hmm. This was a big deal. 
being a tobacco farmer, he was not necessarily poor from my understanding, but he was definitely not wealthy. Okay. They didn't have a lot of extra money. And during this time, that was something that only the very wealthy did. Right. So this was a pretty big deal for all of the Lawson family members. Charlie had told everyone that this was all part of some Christmas surprise. <laughs> However, I don't think the Christmas surprise he spoke about was what they had imagined. Stappy, stappy. So the morning of December 25th, 1925, the family woke up. It was Christmas morning. They were excited. There was a brand new, fresh bed of snow outside. I believe they got like eight inches that day. Hmm. Marie woke up early and planned to bake her famous raisin cake for Christmas dinner later that night. God damn it, please leave raisins out of cake, pies, and cookies. And potato salad, Becky? Really? Charlie and Arthur woke up as well to head out with their two beagles, Sam and Queen, to go rabbit hunting. I'm officially cheering for the beagles now. In North Carolina, hunting is a really big thing, especially on the holidays. So they headed out to do this, but at some point they ran out of ammunition or they realized they didn't have enough to go hunting to begin with. So because so much time has passed since this incident took place and Arthur ended up being the only surviving son, he didn't really speak about what happened afterwards. So the details of what actually happened in this moment is unknown. But either way. Arthur ended up being sent into town to buy ammunition so that they could continue hunting. I believe he got into town around 1 p.m. So at this point, Arthur is off in town. Marie and Anthony are getting all the food ready for that night. And 12-year-old Carrie, 6-year-old Maybell, they decided they wanted to head over to their uncle's house. They lived relatively close by, and they wanted to go over and wish a Merry Christmas. So they bundled themselves up and headed out of the house. This is when everything turned to chaos. Weird humans. For some reason, Charlie decided this Christmas day he was going to murder his entire family. Huh, why not? He hid in the tobacco barn, which both Carrie and Maybell would have had to walk by in order to head to their uncle's house. And as soon as they did, he pulled out a 12-gauge shotgun and shot both of them. Yeah. After shooting them, he decided to take it a step further and bludgeoned them before dragging them into the tobacco barn where he placed them with rocks underneath their heads as if they were pillows. After killing his two daughters, Charlie then reloaded his shotgun and headed back towards the family home. Now, I've read two different versions of this portion of the story, and I can't be sure which one's accurate, so I'm just going to lay it out there for you guys. I'm bracing myself. I heard one version where Fanny, his wife, was on the front porch peeling potatoes, and this is where she was killed. And in another version, she was bringing wood into the home and was killed as soon as she entered the door. Hmm. Either way, Charlie, for some reason, decided his next move was to kill his wife. You know, while I'm here. Marie, the oldest daughter, was inside the house at this point and knew what was going on. So she started screaming. Hmm. She was by the fire, curling her hair. Charlie approached her and killed her as well, right in front of the fireplace. Charlie then headed towards four-year-old James and two-year-old Raymond. Now, I've seen reports that they possibly tried to run away from him because they now witnessed their mother being killed and their older sister. Mm -hmm. One of them, I believed, actually sadly tried to crawl behind the oven, but Charlie got to them both and Mm -hmm. shot both of them as well. Friendly friends are friendly as fuck. Hi, kids. I'm talking animal. Uh, The world seems scary, doesn't it? It sure does. That's right, random other talking animal. Adults are scary. You know, when adults snap from the pressures of life and murder their whole family, I like to think about butterflies and how they're neat. Here, here's a bag full of butterflies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're biting. Yeah, they're flesh eaters. Damn. He then approached Mary Lou, the four-month-old baby that was laying in her crib. The baby? He switched up his methods at this point and decided not to use his gun, but instead he bludgeoned her to death. What? Friendly friends are friendly as fuck. Hey, kids, it's me talking animal again. Jeez. I didn't like that. Well, when adults go crazy and bash babies' heads in, oh, <laughs> I like to think about the good things that humans do. You know, like a good thing for babies, an incubator or a defibrillator or complicated machines like computers or video cameras or this flamethrower. No idea why Skycast gave me one of these, but it was a lot of fun, right, talking animal? Oh, shit. Scratch that last bit. So at this point, the only remaining family members were the father, Charlie, and Arthur, who was in town, completely unaware that his family was being brutally murdered by Mm. his father. 
So at this point, Charlie ran into the woods, and eventually family members would stumble across the aftermath of his killing spree. Fuck. Now, I've seen quite a few versions of who exactly stumbled across the family, but an old article from Stokes County states that Elijah, Charlie's brother, was the first one to the Lawson family home. He had also been rabbit hunting that day, and I guess he decided to pass by his brother's house, and he noticed that it was kind of quiet. When you have that many children, it's not usually very quiet at a house like that. So just out of curiosity, he approached the home, looked into the windows, and was shocked at what he saw. The body of Fanny, as well as three of the children, and he's thinking, where the hell is Charlie? Mm-hmm. You know, like, where's where's Arthur? Where are the other kids? So at this point, he ends up hearing something up in the attic, and it freaks him out. Or at least he thought he did, and he ran. He immediately left to go get help, knowing he couldn't deal with all of this by himself. Right. He made it to the neighbor's house, who reached out for help, and at around 4 p.m., a telegram was sent to Sheriff John Taylor, Deputy Sheriff Robert Taylor, the coroner, Dr. Hilsebeck, and Dr. Robert Bynum. And they were all urged to immediately go to the Lawson home. Because they didn't know what was going on, they weren't sure if there was some intruder in the home that had killed all of these individuals. They still could not account for multiple children, as well as Charlie. A bunch of different hunters in the area showed up to surround the home with their guns. They were planning on slowly approaching to try and figure out what was going on during the situation. Hmm. A few of them had actually gone into the home where they did, in fact, find Fanny as well as the youngest, Mary Lou. And then, of course, Raymond and James and Marie. So they continued around the home to search for the other three children as well as Charlie. They also went to the attic since Elijah had said he'd heard something up there. But when they searched the whole house, none of the children were there and no strangers were in the home. Well, either. I had to go by seagull or whatever the fuck. I know, pigeon. Right? Took a long the, the time. Telegram, yeah. So a neighbor who had heard about this, all this stuff, came to the house as well to offer any assistance that they could. Remember, this was a friendly family. They were there for everyone. Um, they, whenever anyone needed help, they were the first to arrive. So their neighbors are doing the same. Right. The neighbor arrived at the property and ended up passing the tobacco barn on their way to the house. And because of the snow, they were able to actually see blood and drag marks going from near the tobacco barn into the barn. So the neighbor took a peek into the barn. Ultimately, he found Mabel and Carrie no longer alive. At this point, I wanted to share that I've seen images of all the bodies laying inside the home, like they had been brought to some sort of centralized location, and they all had their arms crossed over the top of their chests with pillows under their heads. However, I can't confirm the validity of these photos because I've only seen these on a handful of different sources. And I feel like because this case was so sensationalized after it happened, as we will see, it's very possible a lot of details were added just to make the story more interesting. Right. So I don't know which way it goes. Although, personally, I think the story is interesting without yeah. uh, weirdness. So guy, deputies... Guy lost his fucking mind, said, I'm going to kill all the kids. These chitrins pissing me off. Right. Hmm. So the deputies arrived on the scene, and as well as a couple of hearses to remove the bodies. And at this point, there were multiple neighbors and family members present. A lot of people were at the home to help, and it's a good thing they were, actually. See, the house was on the top of a hill, and the snow had made it very difficult to get all of these bodies to the hearses due to the sheer amount of ice that had been created from everyone's trampling feet. So they ended up having to borrow sheets from the house, and they created makeshift sleds to put the bodies on and then drug them down the hill so they can successfully get them into the hearses. Now, I did read another few different versions of this as well. I read that Arthur ended up coming home and seeing what was going on. But I've also read that someone went to town and actually told Arthur what had happened and then brought him back. So they did eventually locate him either way, and he was safe. However, they still don't know where Charlie is. And they won't know until hours later when they heard a single gunshot ring out from deep in the woods. Hmm. The beagles that had been hunting with both Arthur and Charlie alerted to this gunshot. Now, again, different versions. Some of these versions uh, say that these beagles led authorities to Charlie, and other versions say that 
their howls, because they never left Charlie, that their howls are what led the authorities to him. But either way, they end up finding Charlie dead in the middle of the woods, leaning up against a dogwood tree. It appeared that he had ended his own life. When his body was found, there were two very odd notes that they found in his pockets. These notes were written on tobacco auction receipts. One of them stated, trouble can cause, and the other one stated, nobody to blame but. Very incomplete. So you've got these two very strange phrases, and neither of them are finished, and no one actually to this day can really make any sense of them. Now, it also appeared that he was losing his shit at this moment. Not only did they find Charlie and the weapon, but they also found that he had been pacing for probably hours. Like the entire time these friends and family and authorities were in his home trying to locate the other family members and trying to get the bodies to be taken to a funeral home, Charlie was likely pacing around a dogwood tree in the middle of the forest for hours on end. Hmm. To the point where he had actually made like this trench. It was at like a muddy, snowy trench, dirty trench around the entire tree before ultimately ending his life. Real quick. I used to have a dog that would do that. A little Jack Russell Terrier. Yeah. He would run around the yard. Mm-hmm. We just let him out for a little bit and he'd just run around the yard so much in the same spot. It looked mm-hmm. like a, like a track. Yeah. Like a sports track. That's, anyway, yeah, that's, that's what I'm imagining. Well, that's guy. what, that's what it looked like. That's mm-hmm. what it reminded me of. I've been that, uh, not because I murdered my family and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've I've had that pacing kind of thing where it's like, damn, did I just like, did I wear just, a hole in the yeah. carpet? Where it's like, yeah, I did. So now I've also seen that there was possibly some sort of indication that he had washed blood from his hands at a nearby creek. Now, I again, I don't know if this is something that was kind of created to make him look guilty or just for the shock factor, but and it could also very well be true. But I wanted to throw that out there also because that's part of the story they may have seen footprints or maybe they've saw blood in the snow that sort of thing but they don't say how they knew that it's just a statement Hmm. at the end of the day though this would begin all the speculation all the remains of the lawson family ended up being transported to a funeral home in local walnut cove which was the area that arthur had been sent to go to to get the bullets When they reached the funeral home, as I'm sure you can imagine, they realized it was just way too big of a task for such a small funeral home to take care of. They just didn't have the manpower, supplies, or the space that they needed. So the remains were then loaded up yet again and were taken to Yelton Funeral Parlor. Now, the autopsy ended up being performed by Dr. C.J. Hilsebeck. Like 10 days later or some shit. Well, with Spotwood Taylor, who was actually the brother of the sheriff in Stokes County. Spotwood Taylor actually worked at Johns Hopkins Medical Center, but was in town for the holidays. So I think he just kind of offered to lend a hand to Dr. Hilsebeck, and they worked all night of Christmas into the early morning hours of the 26th of December, embalming the bodies. Hmm. Now, I've read there was actually no autopsies performed at all under some circumstances, under some articles. There was a theory that emerged pretty early on that Charlie may have killed his family because of a brain injury. That's what I said yeah. instinctively. Yeah. This shit. Mm. So I've read this injury took place two years before the family mur- was murdered, mm. but I also read that it happened up to 10 years before the family was murdered. All I know was at some point when he was working, an ax that he was using came back and smacked him in the head. Some people say it was a really bad injury, and other people say that it was something that was very superficial. He definitely hurt himself, but he didn't cause internal bleeding or anything like that. At least that's what people are saying. Head is fragile. However, a lot of people claimed Charlie's personality and behavior changed drastically after this incident. So they decided to take a look into this and just see if maybe this was why Charlie decided to murder his family. So I read they actually took out a portion of his brain, put it in a jar, and Spotwood Taylor took it to the Johns Hopkins uh, University to look further into the brain itself to see if there was anything going on. And they sauteed it in butter and had From what I understand, after looking at Charlie's brain, there was nothing at all that indicated he had any sort of trauma. Hmm. I believe believe they did say that it was a little underdeveloped and a little bit smaller than normal. But other than that, there was nothing that they believe that could have caused him to one day snap and decide to annihilate his family. Obviously, it must have been a sandwich he ate. (laughs) Obviously, this case caused quite the uproar. 
not just in Germantown. This was national news. It was in the New York Times. Hmm. Everybody possible knew about this, and it brought people in from all over who wanted to pay their respects to the family or just wanted to fulfill a morbid curiosity, but also because familicides are horrific and evolve some of our deepest fears. Yeah. It's really hard to wrap our mind around why or how someone could murder their entire family. Over 5,000 people ended up attending the funeral on December 27th, 1929. This is how fast word spread and how fast people decided to travel from all over to be able to attend this funeral. There was a burial following at Bowder Cemetery where they were all buried on the same plot and Mary Lou, the youngest, was buried in her mother Fanny's arms. They were even buried in the clothes that they had purchased brand new for the portrait when they had gone to Winston-Salem just a couple weeks earlier. You have to wonder if he got kicked in the head by a horse and nobody knew about it or some shit right. while they were getting their nice clothes. He's like, see you guys in a minute. We'll get some candy. And then, oh, I know. I it's, hate these kids. it's so weird. Well, after the murder, people were fascinated with this crime. So not only did all these people show up at the funeral, but also a ton of people started just showing up at the Lawson family home to look at everything. Hmm. All of the blood was still there on the floor. You could see the bloody crib. You could see where every single person in the family was killed and where their bodies remained until someone stumbled across the scene. So people were just showing up. And Marion Lawson, his brother, okay, this is where it gets fucking weird. He decided to make it some sort of attraction. No way he didn't. He did. He opened up the house for tours. Uh. 25 cents a quarter to come in and take a good close look at this home where this Christmas Day tragedy took place. I found this That's... not only horrific, but a suspect. Yeah. Personally, I did. That's not a, uh, the right. best way to raise money for funeral expenses, I don't think. Well, a lot of things in the home ended up just... tasteful way. Well, they ended up being sold. Right. Even the final photograph of the family, it was sold off to a lot of people as souvenirs. Hmm. People even started to take souvenirs of their own. You know that cake that Maria had made, the famous raisin cake? People were picking the raisins out of it to take home with them. So Marion ended bits. up... Six bits? Give, give me my six right? bits for that raisin. So Marion ended up having to encase it in a glass box so people would stop picking it apart. <laughs> yes, how much for your dead sister-in-law's brain matter? Five bucks. Can I have the bullet casings used to murder your family? Fifty cents each. How much for these raisins? Six bits of raisin. Hey, can I eat their bodies? Eh? Fifty bucks a body. So I've seen... Uh, photos where people were signing their names on the mantle of this home. Just disrespectful. Wow, yeah. What? How did they it, lose their mind? Wait, the, I, crowds will do that sometimes. When you awful. see other people doing something stupid, there's tons of studies. You're like, you yeah, grapple with it, yeah, but you'll just do it. Let's Most do stupid things do too. God, yeah. it's awful. So obviously a lot of people had problems with this. Marion did defend himself saying that he was doing this for Arthur. That the reason he was making money off of his family's death and even auctioning off the family's belongings afterwards was so he could give all the money to Arthur. Okay. So that way Arthur could take care of the mortgage for this farm that basically had just been dumped in his lap. Yeah. Now, I have no idea if Arthur actually got the farm and if he was able to pay it off. Mm. From my understanding, he did lose the farm, so I'm going to assume not. Mm. People had questions, though. Family members had questions. The community. Anyone who heard about this could not figure out why on earth Charlie, the nicest man, would decide to murder his entire family, which obviously led to the spreading of rumors and a lot of different theories. There's even some suggesting that Charlie wasn't even responsible, and he was actually also a victim. Hmm. So the theory suggests that Charlie at some point witnessed some sort of organized crime and this organized crime group came back to kill him and his family to make sure that he stayed quiet. Okay, boss, so how quiet do you want me to make him? I want you to make him very quiet. You want me to threaten him? Quiet. You want me to beat the guy up? Quiet. You want me to beat his kids up? More. Kidnap the kids? More. I mean, you want me to kill him and his whole family? Yeah. Well, I admit they will be very quiet at that point. Obviously, his oldest son was not killed simply because he was sent out to get ammunition in town that day. Wow. Yeah, six kids, seven kids, whatever. Fuck, just whack them and get back. <laughs> Yikes. 
Charlie could have been out in the woods still trying to hunt with a few bullets he had left or something, and he didn't think anything of the gunshots coming from the house because tons of other people in the area go rabbit hunting, especially on holidays. Somebody had to scream, though, from that whole experience. Right. Well, from what I understand, his daughter did scream, but he may not have been close enough to hear the scream. True, yeah. Then people came into the woods to find him if they heard his dogs, and this is when he was killed. People believe this is possible because not a single person had anything negative to say about Charlie. Everyone said they couldn't believe that Charlie would actually do something like this. Also, why would he decide to just leave one of his children alive? Right. However, I don't think He's authorities my favorite. <laughs> I don't think authorities ever unearthed some gruesome crime in that area that could have been connected to organized crime. But it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. But at the end of the day, I've not seen anything to support this other than just people putting together bits and pieces of this particular theory. Now, a lot of people that don't believe this at all say there was a really good reason for sending Arthur out away from the family into town where he would be gone for a while. See, Arthur was taller than his dad. He was very strong and Arthur cared a lot about his family. And many people believe that Charlie specifically sent him away because Arthur really was the only one that could stop him from acting out this horrific Christmas plan to kill the family. There are some people that believe this could have possibly been sort of some sort of mental break. Mental illness was not taken very seriously uh, and was not really understood during this time. So he, if he was experiencing some sort of mental break, it's very possible no one noticed. Right. And what could they have done anyway? Right. Well, it could have happened that day and something inside of him just snapped and no one was really able to stop him. However, many people don't believe this has anything to do with mental health because he showed signs of mental health issues prior, according to people who knew him. Right. Big umbrella. Some also believe it wasn't a random mental break because they think this was actually a premeditated act, something that had been planned out for a while. Now, remember, they said his personality began to change after that axe hit his head. Right. So they don't, they, they're, they're arguing against the mental issue because he was showing signs of this way before. They don't think it was a mental break. Right. Now, a lot of people believe that Charlie took his family for this portrait and splurged all this money on these new outfits in an attempt to memorialize his family. Sounds like it. It certainly worked out that way in the end. Right. Well, he wanted to get this last picture. He wanted to spend all of his money knowing that he wasn't going to need it in a few weeks anyway. He had spoken about some Christmas surprise, and this was it, unfortunately. Can we guess the surprise, Papa? Uh, I guess so. Are we getting a puppy? No, beautiful child. Are we getting an outhouse so we can stop shitting in the corner? That's what Mama wants. Oh, there's nothing like that. You sure it's not a puppy? Oh, Papa's very sure. Yikes, too soon. Sorry to my mom. But the most recent theory was not introduced until 1991. So a book called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas by Trudy J. Smith totally changed things up. It completely introduced a brand new theory. Aliens! So a year before this book was published, I guess she had already started working on it and she was already familiar with the case. She was going to try to help find some answers. But she herself was abducted by aliens. But she received an anonymous phone call from a woman who claimed to tour the Lawson home when Marion was charging people to come and look at the house. Right. Now this unknown... I wouldn't admit that in public, but whatever. (laughs) This unknown woman, she was, you know, she didn't leave her name. Fair. She claimed that the tour guide, while giving a tour of the home, very specifically stated that the entire family was killed by Charlie because he got his 17-year-old daughter, Marie, pregnant. Yeah. These theories just keep getting fucking terrible. Uh, More terrible, all right? And she made it very clear that the tour guy did not say this as if it were speculation, that they said it was fact. Hmm. Now, I don't know if this tour guide was Marion himself or if it was someone else, but this obviously took things a totally different direction. Mm-hmm. Trudy Smith had already interviewed Stella Lawson, which is Marion's daughter and the Lawson's children's cousin. So uh, Marion is Charlie's brother. Mm-hmm. So basically, this is Charlie's niece, this right. interview. Um, So she was interviewed for this book, and I guess right before publishing the book, she once again reached out to Trudy Smith and said, look, quote, I actually do think I know why these murders happened, end quote. And she corroborated the story that this person who had gone on the tour shared, 
that basically Charlie killed his family because he impregnated Marie. She claimed that while at the funeral, she overheard her her aunts speaking about an incestuous relationship. I guess Fanny had shared her concerns with some family members, Fanny the mom, including Stella's mom, about an inappropriate relationship going on between her husband and her oldest daughter. And it was possible that Marie was pregnant. So now Stella's mom passed away in 1928. A year prior to the murder. So since her mom knew about it, that would indicate this activity had been going on for at least a year prior to the family being killed. So this theory really ran rampant, and there's many people who believe it's very possible. But 16 years later, in another book, there were even more people that were interviewed that corroborated the story even further. So a close friend of Marie's named Ella May said that Marie also confided in her that she was pregnant with her father's baby and that both her father and mother already knew about it. The book also interviewed a neighbor named Hill Hampton, who claimed that there were very serious problems within the home. He didn't necessarily insinuate that it was an incestuous relationship, but when he was asked to elaborate, he absolutely refused. Mm. Due to his body language and refusal to discuss the detail, a lot of people assume that may be what the issue was. We really have no way of truly knowing the validity of this theory. Unfortunately, Arthur, the son that survived, ended up passing away as well in 1945 when he was in his 30s. He was driving his truck in a nearby highway in Walnut Cove, and at the time they were doing construction in this area, and he drove his truck into a portion of the pavement that had been completely removed. It was a freak accident, but when this happened, not only were there all these rumors out there about the family and what did or didn't happen, but now we have people that are saying the family is cursed. (laughs) There's all this bad luck. So then there's this whole paranormal aspect of things that came into play. Oh, here we go. There have been many pictures released where people have unfortunately edited apparitions and different things into them. There's some people who really do swear up and down that they've seen and heard things. But there are also people who are just downright being disrespectful and putting things in pictures that aren't even there. And it's really kind of frustrating. This also caused a lot of issues when it comes to where the Lawson family is buried. They have allegedly put up a barricade around the site. Some claim the site is public, and then you also have people saying that there's private property signs everywhere. People are trespassing to get pictures and trying to catch something on camera. It's still a mess to this day. Today, there are a lot of rumors that you can see Charlie on Christmas Eve walking around town or that he's... He's whistling. There have been reports that he's been seen in the cemetery. There have been reports for years that Fanny's stove in the house would overheat, but only on Christmas. Hmm. I mean, people claim to see the kids everywhere, too. So it's drawn a lot of people to look at this from a paranormal perspective. Well, it looks like a murder to me. Sure does, Chief. I think there's an aspect of this that we haven't explored. Oh, here we go. What is it, Deputy? But what if he was possessed by demons? You think that's likely? No, but what about ghosts? What in fuck town are you talking about? What if vampires made him do it? Are you on drugs, Deputy? Perhaps werewolves were involved. How do we fire a Deputy? What if a bunch of dark elf witches put a curse on him? There's paperwork to fire a Deputy, right? I'm on it, Chief. He could have been standing on a ley line while Mercury was in retrograde and he channeled some Agarthan energy. To this day, it's not known why Charlie killed his family. Uh, In my research, I read that the portion of his brain that they had taken for research, Mm -hmm. well, it's been lost. They Ah, can't find it. I told you that it's in the butter and then they ate it. The Yelton funeral home where the whole family was entombed is is actually still open, except now it's known as Madison Dry Goods. And the owners ended up converting the upstairs area where all of this happened into a museum Uh, of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, the elevator that took the bodies up is apparently still operational. Hmm. And there was even a song written about this incident. That sounds like some a songwriter would do. In, oh, I got this. Don't in, worry. In March of 1930. Then they bludgeoned the baby. Oh, Sorry. God. Sorry. I swear. Bludgeoned the baby. That's too sorry to my mama. In March of 1930, 
Three months, a mere three months after the massacre, Smith and the Carolina Buddies recorded the murder of the Lawson family in Blood New York City and baby. for Columbia Records. Too soon? No, too soon. Yeah. <laughs> Bluegrass enthusiast Kenny Rohr says it became one of the label's best-selling hillbilly <laughs> singles of the year. For the seventh straight week topping the hillbilly charts, here they are again with Bludgeon and the Baby to Death. So that's what they used to call country music, by the way. Hillbilly. Nice. Hillbilly music. Nice. It's moved more than 8,000 units even as the depression was starting. Fuck, it's a hit. Yeah, the song was re-recorded in the next year by a few other local groups like the Red Fox Chasers and the E.R. Nace Singers. The remix. But the definitive version can be found on an evening long ago, a live recording by the Stanley Brothers from 1956. So at the end of the day, we really have no idea what happened that day almost a century ago. We'll likely never truly know the truth about Charlie. Right. I mean, was he a lecherous father? Or what? Sound, I mean, shit. Right. Or mm. was he the fall guy for someone else's crime forever to be remembered as a fucking terrible human being? Or was he a little bit of both? I mean, he's going to be remembered as a terrible human being. Right. Even if he had a brain tumor, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. And they looked at his brain and ate it, so they couldn't. Uh, <laughs> they did anything. not eat it. They probably ate it. <laughs> if you remember anything from the show, you remember that those sciencey folk like to eat brains. <laughs> and that's what happened. So that's our story, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, let's see what we think about it on the other side of a musical thing. Sounds great. What did these dipshits think about the dipshits that did the dipshittery today, eh? So Merry Christmas. That was a fucking yeah. Christmassy, uh, lovable celebration time thing. <laughs> I've heard that a story like this where mm-hmm. normal guy just shows up one day, murders this whole family, burns the house down. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually in a Sam Harris book about free will, and it had to do with the brain tumor. That's why I brought it up, oh. because they looked into it, and it's like, well, <clears throat> what makes a person that's just kind and sweet mm-hmm. completely shift? And it's like, is it chemicals? Is it the pressures of the world? And, you know, you mm-hmm. never want to say no, because people go through such random and different things. Right. But well, there's these, these blunt stories. Blunt head tr- trauma to the head yeah. is definitely the first thing. Well, there are these, there's these stories throughout um, the 20th century and um, the 21st century. Um, there's, it's just not, it's not common, but it's not unheard of. Um, and it's typically the man of the family. Um, I've read. I mean, I've thought about it a few times <laughs> at this point, you know. Well, I've, I've read several uh, instances and dug into several um, stories where these men have murdered their whole family. And it's typically, of course, mental illness. Um, but what causes that mental illness, it, it varies. It, it's, right. it's everything from stresses and abuse from childhood to brain trauma. Um, but there have been a couple just terrible stories of instances where they uh, just basically the pressures of the world. Um, most of them that I've read, the most recent ones were um, n- they were basically narcissistic sociopaths mm-hmm. and they didn't want to own up to something. Basically, they were covering it up. They didn't want in one story. I forget the man's name, but in one story, he didn't want to admit to his friends and family that he had failed as a chiropractor. Mm. And he had moved his family down to Florida and they lived in a, a Disney park or something. It was just outside of Disney. It's a real nice, expensive place. Yes. And he was still living in Connecticut um, and he moved his family down there into a condo down there. His wife, I think she was spiraling too. She was kind of falling into, she found religion and she was saying, you know, we lived in this terrible world and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, he basically ended up killing his entire family and then living with their bodies for days afterwards. Yikes. Um, but once they interviewed him, <laughs> Jim, will you pass the? Oh, you're dead. That's right. Well, I'll take the mustard. After they interviewed him throughout the interview process, at first they were gonna, they were thinking that he had, uh, you know, he lost his mind. Obviously, you have to lose your mind, lose your mind to kill a whole family. But yeah, but in what they, way? Yeah. Right. Well, they found through the interview process that he was just trying to set himself up for a uh, insanity plea. Um, because he remembered details that he, if he wasn't all with it, like he said he was, he wouldn't have remembered those details. So yeah. back to this, this story, this is not 
it's not unheard of. Right. Um, you know, there's another one in Washington State where the man did the same thing, and this was, uh, I think, in the early 2000s, somewhere, maybe even uh, 2012. Hmm. So there's there's uh, quite a few of these. Yeah. And I chose this one specifically because it's it's on Christmas. Now, why would he choose Christmas? You know, there's no way to interview the guy to find out. You know, what I was blown away with was that the gun shop was open for the other kid, for the kid that survived right. to uh, be shopping on Christmas. On what Christmas, hell? I know. Anyway, that was but, the 30s, you know, 20s. Yeah. Who's shopping on Christmas? 29, 1929. So, yeah. you know, it's a different time. Oh, I'm fuck. It's just pretty crazy. All that was crazy. Now, one part that I did, um, parts of his uh, his personality, his, his character, there were some things that I didn't put in there. Um, at one point... When his child died, the when he, his baby died, it the was early one, yeah, yeah, the early his son, his third son, I think, died at the age of six. Um, he had uh, gotten a cold, and Charlie had lost his father just a couple of years before. After his father got a cold, hmm. and his father got a cold, and waited a while. They called the doctor because he wasn't getting any better. He ended up with pneumonia and died. Now, a few years, fast forward a couple of years, a couple few years, his son got a cold. And within a couple of hours, his fever soared. So Charlie freaked out and he was worried because of what had happened with his dad. Right. He had to ride in to go get a doctor. All this, and yeah. He, but he didn't have a horse. He had to ride his mule 10 miles to go alert a doctor and let him know that he needed help. See, now the, this is kind of glib, but that's another good little country song right there. Right. But Road as, a donk, it's safe, child. <laughs> as they got in, uh, they, they arrived at the home. The doctor treated the child, found out the child had pneumonia, and the child died. And after that, Charlie wasn't quite the same. And this is before the head injury. Um, but he still did everything for his family. Everything was for his family. Except that last bit. So it's... It's kind of strange, and and reading these character witnesses, um, of what they when they talk to the newspapers and journalists and that sort of thing, not one person uh, was saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense that he killed his family." Not one person. Everyone was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. No but how one. How many intimate friends did he have? That's a that's a know, hard one. He a, was yeah. he was a farmer, so mm. and people lived far apart. Um, you know, it's hard to say. And this case did happen so long ago. It's been almost a hundred years. Yeah. So a lot of telephones mm-hmm. been played. Exactly. I still can't believe the most shocking Marion, his brother. I cannot yeah, you knew, fucking yeah. believe making it into a museum too. I mean, it's like, well, huh. you know, I did dig, I did my best to dig, to find out more about Elijah and Marion. And there's not a lot out there. I wanted to know about his brothers. Yeah. That struck me as fucking weird. There's not much follow up on that. Cause I mean, no. No. It sounds very much like a motive or at least a, I mean, he didn't know, nobody knew that they were going to turn it into a, like, well, holy shit, the whole country, like right. New York Times, they didn't know New York <clears throat> Times was going to run a piece on it. Right. But I did find it interesting, <sighs> the connection here that Elijah and Marion, the brothers, mm-hmm. moved to um, uh, this location first. Right. And then he followed with his family. Elijah was first on scene. He was the very first person there. He's the one that found the bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ran and got a neighbor. He said there was a sound in the attic. That was also a very strange thing. Which the, nobody they found, found nothing. But it was hours later or some shit that he went and got help to where they could actually go look when they had all those hunters. Right, right. Um, exactly. So, I mean, it's not but like, Elijah, like, I'll wait. I'll, you come back and I'll jump out of the closet in a couple, couple Well, days. I find it fascinating that Elijah was first on scene. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, his brother was first one there. His other brother was the one that... Just exploited, yeah, exploited this, their it. deaths. And there's pictures you can get online and you can see the original photos that people took of the house. Bloody. Hmm. Um, it's, it's just awful. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm i okay accepting the fact that the man lost his shit and killed his family because right. it's not unheard of. Especially in this time during, I mean, 1929, it's a very difficult time specifically for farmers. Yeah. Um, yes, there is. About orga- to get worse, too. There, there is organized crime going on during this period of time, too. And he, he, he specialized in tobacco. 
you know, it's it wasn't booze, but it was tobacco. Right. So, I mean, there's there's all kinds of weird things going on with this case. But I so what you're saying is Philip Morris did this. <laughs> no, and they, my brain he was getting a really cool strain of tobacco going. My brain, my brain just can't let go of the idea that one brother was on scene first, mm-hmm. just randomly decided maybe, maybe because it was Christmas. Yeah, you know, it's quite maybe possible. Maybe you're supposed to come over for Christmas. Then. Right, right, and that's we don't know. But I found usually first on scene, typically they know something. Right. People just do. But that's today. This 1929, maybe it was different. They were riding donkeys 10 miles to get help, so it was different for sure. <laughs> but first on scene was one brother. The second brother exploited everything. And Arthur, it, it, there's no proof that he ever got any money because he eventually lost the farm. Right. That's another weird thing, too. Yeah. So, so I don't know. This whole case was obviously jumbled from the beginning. Um, they didn't have forensics back then. Not like we do now. I mean, they did. They they would. They weren't stupid people. No, no, yeah. no. They would look for fingerprints. Yeah. And of course they were, you know, looking for stuff. But this was a small town. It was a farming community. And uh, yeah, I know that the police were there and in investigating, but just weird things. By the time they started their investigation, really, truly started their investigation, the scene was completely destroyed because it was full of family, neighbors. They were selling popcorn. I know. Well, and they had trampled all the snow down around the house. It created all this ice. They couldn't even carry the bodies out. They had to slide them down. So Hmm. that tells you that morning it was fresh eight inches of snow. And by 4 p.m. in the afternoon, it was a sheet of ice because of all the people. Right. They had a party at the the massacre house of these poor people. So I don't, I'm not sure where I stand with this, um, just because I don't have enough information to, to make a decision on it, but I find it fascinating for one, because it is the story that it is for two, uh, because it's a mystery that will never truly be solved. Mm -hmm. It just won't. Yeah. That's impossible at this point to solve. It reminds me of. When I was with Time Suck, there were a few topics that I researched for Dan mm-hmm. where it had that same thing where people at the end of it, uh, not necessarily the mystery, uh, there were some mysteries on, at the end, but the I'm still blown away by it. people showing up and being like pitching, you know, selling t-shirts and shit mm-hmm. basically is what, yeah. like, and, and we're not better than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, like today's day and age, I mean, there's still a ton of exploitation mm-hmm. that goes around all sorts of tragedy. Well, that's part of what the dipshit files is about. Yeah. So is the dipshits the, there, like the, there's yeah, a lot of dipshits. The media there. exploiting these things for, you know, clicks at this point. Yeah. Well, one thing I did want to mention. So when you go back and you look at the loss and family photo, mm-hmm. the last photo that they have is all over the internet. Uh, If you look at this photo, you can see the whole family together in their brand new outfits. And you look at the daughter, Marie. Um, She looks pregnant. Barely. She does. She doesn't have. She's got that look about her. You know, she's got you look at her face. She's got that. She doesn't look happy. But 1929, none of them look happy. happy. Yeah, exactly. But she does have that look about her face. And she does have a rounded. You could see her from basically her thighs up standing behind her little brother, I think. So in this dress, she looks like she's got a rounded kind of a rounded tummy. Hmm. She looks like she's about four months pregnant. That's about the time that you're right. like, okay, it's just starting to show. Now my so, secret must come out, and that's exactly, and that's another thing. And somebody who I think leads this type of life that is uh, upheld by the community, um, everyone thinks is this amazing, awesome, wonderful human, uh, loves him, and and is there for him. To have to admit that he did this could quite possibly trigger him to lose his shit also yeah. you know on the just a ride podcast just last if he week, did have an incestuous affair with his daughter right is what i'm saying right when they catch on it <clears throat> right when we were doing the just a ride podcast jeff was telling us a story about how uh a lady had been trying to entrap a, a fellow police officer with sexual stuff that mm-hmm. was fake and and they actually had a video of it mm-hmm. but she just lied and lied and lied and jeff was just interviewing her and he knew the whole time that he had video showing her tie herself up and tape herself up and do all this stuff. Oh, wow. And when she was told, like, finally, he's like, let me show you this tape I have. Mm-hmm. And when she saw herself, like, her lie fall apart, she she passed out. Oh, wow. Right? So, I mean, when you when you get so deep into it 
I mean, I don't know what that's like, to be honest. I don't think I've ever been in a lie where I just kept going. And then there was this moment where it's like, oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh, yeah. You know? I mean, right. I've lied plenty, but it's like, right. I don't I, never about anything like that where mm-hmm. you're like, whoa. And it reminds me. And then, of course, reminded of Shaden and his his uh, story with his sociopath, mm-hmm. psychopath. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it made me think, it's like, I wonder if. How far will people take it? Yeah. But also, I wonder when the truth is, is so obvious and undeniable at that level. Mm-hmm. then. You know, for somebody that's been living a lie for so long, is it like that where they're just like, I died. Right. <laughs> Broken forever. Right. right. Maybe. Know. I know. I, I've never, of course, we've all lied. We're all human, but I've never taken something to that. I mean, no. not even close to right. that. So, you know, that reminded me the story that Jeff told. There was an incident in the late 70s, early 80s, I believe, about a woman. Uh, I think she was from Cincinnati who did the same thing. Hmm. Um, but it, it went on for, for like 20 years where she was constantly calling the police. It's a very interesting story. Even the police thought she was faking it. Her family thought she was faking right. it. She Because it was just randomly, you know, you're finding her in these situations. And it kept going on and on and on. What ends up hurt? She's However, the stalker. That was the case in Jeff's thing. That's, the, that was this woman. That's yeah. what they were saying. However, she finally died. And she was found uh, in very similar situations than the police had found her before. Um, it, I, I need to look up the name of this person, but she was found. <clears throat> she was found dead, tied up in the same way. Um, however, there's no way she could have done it herself. Really? So Some, it was the woman was who had paying attention to her, like and like. All right, fine. It was a. Let's some, give you reality then. Well, this is what and you want. basically, the police did have an idea that it was her ex-husband who was doing this to her in the beginning. Oh. But they found that he kept having these alibis, and they're like, "There's no way it couldn't be him." Hmm. But the woman eventually died, and she died in a situation that followed the pattern, and it wasn't of, of what she'd been claiming all these years, mm-hmm. and there's no way she could have done it herself. Did they go after the guy? Her? There's, it's unsolved. Shit. Yeah. And it's a very, it was a very interesting case of a uh, uh, crying wolf, basically. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. But... I wasn't expecting how it ended. When I got to the end of the story, I was like, what the, how there's no humanly way possible. She could have tied herself up like that. And she actually like died in in a ditch somewhere. It was just, it was terrible. Uh, But it made me wonder is like how, how much of what she said was actually true. Right. You know, was it? And it's because it was always on the fence where it's like, well, maybe, but this is excessive. This is like, how many times does this woman have to go through this? And when she left town or she went on a vacation, it, nothing happened to her. Hmm. And then she'd come back and it would start again. So everyone thought, you know, she was setting it up after calling the police so many times. Anyways, I totally no, digressified all story. over this. <laughs> we dr- digressificationaled all over But But uh, yeah, was, that was an interesting, very interesting story. And it reminded, Jeff's story reminded me of that one. Right. And I don't know how we got here from the story we I were don't, telling. I don't either. No. That's all right. People, lies. Yeah. That's where it was. <laughs> lies, you people, stop lies. lying. Lies. It's all right. How far will you go to uh, keep your lie a secret? Indeed. Yeah. Well, and this man went all the way to massacring his entire family. If he had an incestuous relationship with his daughter, which he had allegedly. Right. And, you, and know, you know, it was like the, the person doing the tour for the really gross, mm-hmm. fucked up, you know, murder scene two mm-hmm. days later or that day or whatever. So it's like, well, the, you know, I some find, weird hearsay. I find it interesting. They did no autopsies on the family. Hmm. They just embalmed the bodies. Hmm. If she was pregnant, don't you think they would have found that there was hmm. a baby in there? Hmm. You know? Who would want to hide the family scandal, though? Maybe they... Right. Because, I mean, more salacious, the more newspapers, mm-hmm. the more... Hmm. Yeah. Who knows? The Crap. whole case is a mess. What a shitty Christmas for them. Yeah, it's, well, Merry Christmas Merry to all Christmas. you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that's our story, and that's yes. our show. Yes. Uh, thank you to our trusted turd triad. Mm-hmm. You guys know who they are. You can say it right now. Who am I going to say? Don't. Mm-hmm. Shitbox Wizard. 
Chris, mm. the Discord Dookie Slayer, and Bodie, mm. the Quartermaster of Scatcast. <laughs> but we appreciate them. They're doing all sorts of stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, thank you to the Godhead. Just a little bit. Actually, quite a bit. But I can only talk about <laughs> yeah. him a little bit. His little fingers little are doing a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, much respect to them. Yes. Uh, much respect to the garbage disposal. And Alan, our friend, doing all mm. his work, what he does all the time. And we love it. Yeah, hiding those little Scatcast giddy buttholes <laughs> all over the place. I love it. And sharing lots of awesome uh, advice yes. and for the world. And it's just a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, thank you to all of our patrons, all our bosses, mm-hmm. uh, to the fat cats, to our alley cats, to our uh, inside scoopers, mm-hmm. to our scat cats, and to our litter mates. We appreciate yes. all five levels of your uh, support. Yes. And to all of you guys that listen and share, and it's been a really cool last couple months of lots of shares and lots of, especially this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thanks for helping us. Thank you. We appreciate a shitload. I feel like there's a lot more things to thank now, mm-hmm. uh, but, but you know. We got we thank you to everyone for everything that you've done. <laughs> that, we appreciate the end of all of our shows are just like, man, thank you for letting us. I do know. It. Thanks for listening I, to us, man. And letting us still continue <laughs> to do this. I mean, I don't this is my job right now. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like uh I did not anticipate it being that way for this right. first year doing stuff and, and you guys made it that way. So thank you. And you know, that's why I don't I try not to sleep that much. Mm-hmm. If I either I'm either recording or sleeping. Yep. And yep. That's that is your life. That's been 2022. We'll see. Hopefully, 2023, we'll figure out a yeah, a little bit, of, a little bit of a balance to go have some, some fun. Screw that. We're making cartoons. <laughs> I'm never sleeping again. I'm never uh, sleeping again. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us, and yes. we'll be back next week with another true crime or some mm-hmm. sort of strange something, tale that Monique was going to tell us about. Something to tickle your brain hairs. Tick, tickle the. Oh man, I hope I don't have a hairy brain. <laughs> all right. But as always, we'll talk at you in the future. And it'll seem like the present. Bye. Bye. No idea.